Good Adventures, everybody. I'm Melissa Bonsack, and welcome to episode 43 of Books Cubed, the show where I chat with indie authors that you should be reading. It is Thursday, October 3rd, 2019, and I'm dying to know what you're reading. So let me know. What am I reading? Well, let's see. I'm going to look at my board here where I got it written down or I'm going to get it wrong. Uh, thanks to wonderful suggestions on Instagram this last week, I started The Dark Fantasy, The Forest by Julia Blake, and I'm going to read a blurb. Let me get to it. Um, okay. I met a man made of leaves with roots for hair who looked at me with eyes that burnt like fire, an impenetrable forest that denies entry to all but few, a select few, a strange and isolated village whose residents never leave a curse that reappears every generation, leaving death and despair in its wake. What is lurking in the heart of the forest? When the white hind of legend is seen, the villagers know three of its young residents will be left dead, victims of a triangle of love, murder, and suicide. This time, Sally, Jack, and Reuben have been selected and it's their turn to be tormented by long-buried jealousies, aroused by the dark entity existing within its shadowy glades. Only by confronting the forest's secrets can they hope to break the curse and change their destinies, if they have the courage. Keeper of secrets, taker of souls, defender of innocence, existing on the very edge of believing, there is the forest, and this is its story. I love that. This has been a lot of fun. And I am also reading Sins of the Angel by Lydia M. Hawks, which is an urban fantasy. And let me find that one. Okay. A hard as nails cop, an undercover hunter, and a world made to pay for the sins of the angels. Homicide detective Alexandra Jarvis is up against a serial killer unlike any she's ever encountered. She has neither time nor patience for the arrogant new partner assigned to her in the middle of the case. But he seems hell-bent on getting in her way and under her skin at every turn. A millennium ago, Aramel sentenced his own brother to external exile. Now the fallen angel is back and wreaking murderous havoc in the mortal realm, and it's up to Aramel to stop him and to keep the stubborn police officer out of his way. With tensions flaring between them and Alex's uncanny ability to see him for who he really is, Aramel's mission and his soul are both in serious danger. Can he and Alex work together to capture the fallen one? Or will Aramel end up committing a sin more unspeakable than that of his brother? Dun, dun, dun. And I know I pronounced his name wrong, but I will find out exactly how to pronounce it because Lydia will be on the show very soon. I'm very excited about that. I have a couple comments on the show uh, that I want to get to real quick. Terry was listening to episode 35 and said, loved your interview with Cecilia. I've read her first vampire book. Actually, I listened to it on Audible. I did too. Wow. Glad to hear that that same character will continue in the next book. Yeah, I was excited too. If you have not listened to Cecilia Mecca's uh, vampire series, you need to listen to it instead of reading it because the narrator is fantastic. And uh, let's see, about episode number 40, the Beck 88 said, so I watched this last night, then forgot to comment. Just wanted to say, this is the most fun conversation I've seen on the show. I've been to New York City twice, both times in the 80s. 
I absolutely loved it. And I have to say, everyone I asked for directions, including a besuited man on Wall Street, was nice and helpful. I admit I did play up my Alabama accent. Seems New Yorkers found it interesting. Sounds like a good book. And as she's talking about Richie's book, uh, Hipster Death Rattle, which is excellent. If you have not listened to episode 40 or any of the other episodes, you need to listen and grab that book. Okay, let's see. This week, I'm going to get right to the show here. This week, I am working on the last few chapters of the new book in my June Nash Misadventure series. And let me see, I'm trying to get back to this here. And uh, as I'm finishing up, I thought I would go ahead and put up the audio chapters, next couple audio chapters. If you listen to episode, let me see, which one was it? 28. If you go to episode 28, you can hear the first two chapters of How to Sex Your Snake. And let me zoom back um, to making the everything kind of look funny. Okay, here it is. I got the book. So I'm going to read you the blurb. And if you're watching on a video, here is the cover of How to Sex Your Snake, a June Nash misadventure. So let me read the blurb to you. A pool of blood, a missing body, a famous brother accused of murder. June Nash has the worst luck. June's got a pretty easy job as the personal assistant to her twin brother, star of the number one nature show on TV. Then he's accused of murder, which sucks. Networks tend to fire first and ask questions later. And June doesn't want to lose her cushy assistant job or, you know, say her twin up in jail, end up in jail. When she stumbles onto a clue, she's forced to turn to the one person who can prove her brother's innocence, her arch nemesis. Just one problem. Somebody wants that guy dead. Now she's caught in a race against time as they navigate creepy crawlies, gangsters with a grudge, and deranged superfans. Can she get the evidence back in time to clear her brother's name? If she fails, it's the end of his career and probably her life. So that is book one, and you still have time to read it before book two comes out, which will be in just a few weeks. Not too long, I'll be turning the manuscript for How to Square Your Grouper, book two in the June Nash Misadventure series. I'll be turning that into my editor in about eight or nine days. <laughs> so it won't be too long. And turn around, she's really fast and turn around. So I'll get it back and uh, changes will go in and she'll get it back again. And then it'll go to the readers to make sure there are no errors that have gotten past us and into the book. And uh, my friend Laura and her husband Pete are some of my fantastic um, final pairs of eyes and they catch things that, you know, you're sure that you didn't see the first time. There's no way that was in there. Yep, it was in there and they caught it. So all kinds of things get passed. And uh, so thankfully for them and the other people that are my uh, final readers, thankfully for them, they're all ready and uh, willing and waiting for the last book or the next book, I mean. So uh, that one's going to be coming out. And like I said, to uh, get ready for that, I am going to put up chapters, uh, a couple more chapters in the book. And uh, if, like, if you want to hear the first two, you will need to stop and go to, uh, to, go to episode 28. And if you don't care and you just want to listen, go ahead and listen. And uh, you may wonder, what is going on? And I'm not going to spoil it by telling you what's going on. So 
You'll have to listen. So anyway, here it is, and I will see you after. Chapter 3 Warren's patrol car was in the driveway next to my pickup, along with two other cars I didn't recognize. Someone had strung more of the yellow crime scene do-not-cross tape across the edges of the yard. Not that there was a crowd threatening to cross. After Mom's, the nearest house was probably three or four miles away. It was another reason we'd all spent so much time together as kids. You make do with what you got. Morgan's front door was propped open, and Leather Girl was on the steps, leaning into the house, talking to someone inside. She'd thrown a windbreaker over her outfit. One hand clutched the wrought iron railing, while the other tugged at her skirt, which was creeping up in the back and threatening to give me a view I wasn't interested in seeing. Though it would make us a tad even. I tiptoed around the back of my truck, silently cursing both the thin vinyl booties covering my feet and the chunks of gravel beneath them, and peeked into the cargo bed. Maybe Dewey or I had thrown some footwear back there at some point in the past. Aside from a spare tire and some jumper cables, it was empty. Blast. June. Dewey's voice was muffled as if he was underwater or in one car over in the back seat of Warren's cruiser. I step-hopped around to the front, throwing a few of my favorite words down at the sharper stones, chewing up the stupid purple booties, and ripped open the driver's door. What's going on, Dewey? I don't know, I swear. I didn't see the blood until you fell in it. Warren just asked me if I knew where Morgan was. He asked me, too. And do you? I don't have a clue. Did Morgan say where he was going? Well, did he just leave suddenly? Actually, I'm not sure he was ever home. What? My voice echoed and I could see Leather Girl straighten and look out into the yard. I ducked down and waited till she turned back before I dropped into the seat and slowly pulled the door till it clicked shut. Okay, so when you got here, the blood wasn't there? I don't know. I went in Cyrano's door. Who? Cyrano, Morgan's dog. I told you he leaves the door open because she's got issues with the doggy door. Oh, yeah, the slider in the bedroom. Was the dog inside? I don't know. Come here. I motioned to Dewey. He leaned toward me and I flicked him on the forehead. Ow! Why did you go in the house if Morgan wasn't there? He rubbed his forehead with a palm. He's got a bunch of new clutches. I wanted to see the triaspis. I had no earthly idea what that meant, so I did what I always do when I don't know what he's talking about. I offered a grunt and a quick nod. As always, he wasn't fooled. Centicolus triaspis, he hissed at me. It's a scientific name for a green rat snake. Geez, June, you helped me photograph some for a chapter. He paused to stare off into space and count on his fingers. Three, no, no, four books ago. Then he let out a deep sigh. I write bestsellers. Aren't you ever going to read any of them? I really had no desire. After spending the whole day listening to people talk about creepy crawlies, the last thing I wanted to do when I got home was read about them. I wasn't about to admit that to him, though, so I changed the subject. You come here straight from the airport? I asked. Yeah. That was like three hours ago. No wonder Warren's calling you a person of interest. How could you spend so much time in that house and not see the blood? 
I was in with the snakes. All this time? What were you doing in there? He shrugged. A few snakes pooped in their water. Ew. So after that, I started checking all the dishes. I figured I'm here, I got time, I may as well clean a few cages. And wow, there's some excellent new specimens in his collection. Did you know that Morgan has a female juvenile Oxabellus aneus? I've been dying to get us out to the ridge since we moved back, but we just haven't had time. Whiplash Ridge. That sent a shiver down my spine. The place was a barren death trap. Steep hills, curvy roads, and a vast empty desert as far as the eye could see. Morgan, when did you talk to him last? I laid my left hand on the passenger seat's headrest and Dewey eyed my fingers. I got a couple of texts. He wanted me to stop by because he was having trouble getting a baby from one of the new clutches to eat. Did he sound upset? I asked. Yeah, it was one of the triaspis, he said. No, I meant, did he sound like he was afraid someone was going to... I flashed on all the blood and stopped myself before I added the words whack off his head. I shook away the image that was forming. I needed to keep Morgan out of my thoughts. If I didn't, I was going to lose it. And right now, Dewey needed me. If you didn't know about the blood, why did you make me come inside? I asked. I wanted you to see all the baby snakes. Why? Because they're cute. I thought maybe if you played with them, you'd be more interested in what I do. He leaned back in the seat and shrugged his shoulders. You don't like the job. You never have. Well, that's not true, I said, though it was. I hung around because it was Dewey, and he paid me a lot of money. And because it was Dewey. You hate all the mail I get. You hate going on location. You hate the doozers, he said. I don't hate. I wasn't sure which option to go with. I hated all of it, but I didn't trust anyone else to put my brother's interests first. Listen, I love you. As long as you want me around, I'm not going anywhere. I opened the car door. Where are you going? He asked. To find Warren. Maybe he'll let me drive you to the station. I can't risk anyone seeing you in the back of a patrol car. I swung my left leg out onto the gravel driveway and caught sight of my purple-clad tootsies. If I was going to be hoofing it around Morgan's gravel-covered yard, I needed a lot more than crime scene vinyl protecting my feet. Give me your shoes and socks. Dewey's boots were a couple sizes too big, so I stuffed the crime scene booties in the toes and tied the laces extra tight. As I got out, I wagged a finger at him. Slouch down back there, just in case somebody drives by and gets curious. Over at the front door, Leather Girl was still distracted by whatever was happening inside the house and never heard me climb the porch steps. At the top, I leaned around her, trying to look for Warren. I didn't see him, but I did spot my high school chemistry teacher, Mr. Felito, headed my way. The name badge on his pocket had a big CS on it, so I guessed he'd either moved on to a new career or was moonlighting. We made brief eye contact, and then he quickly looked down. Blast! Did he think Dewey had something to do with all that blood, too? As Mr. Felito stepped into the doorway and maneuvered around Leather Girl, he lifted his arm, and I got a close-up view of the notes on the paper bag he was holding. The name Dewey Nash was neatly written on the line marked suspect. 
What the hell? I grabbed his arm for a better view. Leather Girl, who'd been unaware of me, spun around and bumped into my former teacher, who teetered on the lip of the top step before he lost his balance. I was left literally holding the bag as his arms swung wide, hands desperately grabbing at the air. He ended up with her windbreaker clutched in a fist, and I could hear fabric rip as the two of them took out the porch railing and fell to the ground below in a tangled mess. June! Warren filled the open door. Dewey's a suspect now? He didn't answer. Instead, he took the evidence bag from me and dropped it into a box just inside the door. Then he gripped my shoulders, helped me down the stairs, and twisted me in the direction of my truck. As I glanced back, Mr. Felito was making the mistake of trying to help Leather Girl adjust the skirt that had settled up around her waist, exposing her tiny yellow thong. Okay, now we're a tad closer to even. June, I'd like you to leave my crime scene now, Warren said. I looked over at the cruiser. Dewey had his face twisted up against the back window, trying to keep us in sight, and I thought about the reviews on the back of his last book. My daredevil brother looked more like a scared little kid, and I needed to do something to help him. Trouble was, I had no idea what that something might be. I decided to stick with my best trait. Anger. What the hell, Warren? Five minutes ago, Dewey was a person of interest. What changed? He planted his hands on his hips and gave me more of his cop attitude. I'm not going to discuss my crime scene with you. My relationship with your mother does not give you special consideration. Relationship? Well, that was the first time I'd ever heard either of them refer to their coffee sessions as a relationship. Warren waggled a finger at me. Now don't go reading more into this than there is. If you want to do something to help, you can get in touch with your mom's friend, Harrison Kim. Let him know what's going on. Dewey needs a lawyer? Blast. That should have been my first thought. It's in his best interest. He spun me around and pushed me in the direction of my truck. I glanced back and he made a motion to keep going. Since it looked like there was nothing else I could do, I raised a hand towards the patrol car. Dewey returned the wave. Over at my truck, I discovered that my keys were still in the ignition. I cranked the engine, gripped the steering wheel, and yelped in pain. My knuckles were finally starting to hurt. I blew on them a couple of times and shifted into gear. As the truck rolled forward, I could see Warren in the rearview mirror. He had his cell phone pressed to his chest and was waving at me. I slammed on the brakes and rolled down the window as he jogged over. I need you to go pick up your mom. Uh, that was not something I wanted to do. Uh, how about you take me to jail and Dewey goes and gets her? June, she has her own car. Your mother is about to find out that her child is a person of interest in a possible murder investigation, Warren said. She shouldn't be driving at a time like this. And I should? I'm the one who was rolling around in a pool of blood. You want to tell her that? Warren asked. Um, heck no. He waved a dismissive hand at my truck and put the phone back to his ear. Wendy, hang on. There's something I need to tell you. As I watched him walk away, I hoped he realized that if he arrested Dewey, 
he'd be having coffee by himself for a very long time. Chapter 4 Mom was waiting outside the ER, tapping away on her phone, when I pulled into the parking lot. Her hair was making an escape from its scrunchie, and she was still in her scrubs. Thanks to a chunk of Greek that was grafted onto the family tree via our misplaced dad, Dewey and I looked nothing like our pasty-white, freckle-painted, red-headed mother. I wasn't looking forward to the conversation we were about to have and half-considered driving past. Of course, she chose that moment to look up. She grabbed her backpack from the curb, and when she decided I'd slowed down enough, she ripped open the passenger door and hopped in. I don't understand what's going on, June. I thought everyone was still in Costa Rica. She kicked at the trash around her feet and made a space for her backpack. Hello to you too, Mom, I said, as I eased the car through the lot and back out onto the main road. Oh, I'm sorry, June. Are you experiencing something in her life that makes you more important than your incarcerated brother? Or his dead best friend. Don't think about Morgan. June, are you listening to me? She twisted the rearview mirror her way, dug wipes out of the backpack, and began to scrub a day in the ER off her face. I cleared my head with one good shake. Dewey hasn't been arrested, Mom. I was hoping that was still true. Not yet, she said. She ripped the rest of her hair out of the scrunchie and began to work a brush through it. The light ahead turned yellow when I eased my foot off the gas. The last thing I needed was for one of Mom's colorful anecdotes about safety. How could you let this happen? You're supposed to be looking out for your younger brother. Ninety seconds and the stroke of midnight made me my brother's keeper. You're supposed to be the one with the common sense, she added. I put the truck in park and turned into my seat to look at her. Why do I have to be the one with... Oh, Mom! It wasn't a view of her face that I was treated to as she yanked off her scrub top. She tossed it on the floor, then wiggled out of her pants. I never thought I'd be so happy to discover that my mom wore granny panties. A granny bra would have been nice, too. The guy in the car next to us honked his horn in appreciation, and a couple of people on the sidewalk stepped off the curb for a better look. She ignored them all. Mom, people can see you! I flipped down my sun visor. At least I didn't have to watch them watching us. I like to look nice in public, she said. I could feel her eyes giving my neon outfit a once-over. Thankfully, she didn't ask. Instead, she fished a skirt and blouse out of the backpack, then jerked a thumb at the windshield. Green light. Mom, would you just get dressed? I said. Oh, honestly, June, you're such a prude. I was tempted to tell her that I'd recently stripped for another woman, but I didn't. Too many unanswerable questions would follow. As we moved through the intersection, a flash of red on a telephone wire caught my eye. Was that the same bird from Morgan's yard? I leaned against the wheel and craned my neck for a better look. It was certainly the same size as the other bird. June! Mom shrieked. I looked down in time to swerve back into our lane and avoid the Volkswagen and its finger-waving, horn-honking driver coming at us. When I glanced back up, the bird was gone. For the rest of the ride, I was treated to a painstakingly detailed anecdote 
involving a motorcycle, a pit of gravel, and a shirtless idiot. I didn't see how a little lane drifting had anything to do with being an idiot on purpose, but I held my tongue. The sun had set by the time we pulled up to the sheriff's station. The main drag, Rouse Boulevard, was empty. I didn't see any patrol cars, which meant that Warren had brought Dewey in through the back alley. That would keep the media off our backs, for a while anyway. Mom was out of the truck before I could put it in park. I hung back. I didn't want to be around in case anyone mentioned finding me covered in blood. Don't think about Morgan. I'd had enough lectures for one night. I needed to grab my jacket. I rubbed the goosebumps on my bare arms and jogged across the deserted street. Downtown Horseshoe Bend is populated with the same three blocks you see in every small town. A couple of banks, the post office, the hardware store, a bakery, old lady consignment shops, a decrepit professional building with a faded space available sign, and half a dozen hole-in-the-wall eateries slash bars. My office was on the third floor of a building that housed my favorite, Millsy's. I went in the front and cut through the empty bar. Everyone who rented space in the building was supposed to use the street entrance to their offices. But the stairs to the third floor were dark and steep, and Millsy's had a service elevator left over from the building days as a swanky hotel. So I cheated. As long as I usually ordered something on my way through, no one seemed to care. Alvaro, Millsy's owner, was on a stool at the counter, video chatting with his granddaughter. Chief called looking for you earlier. He squinted at my outfit, but kept any thoughts about it to himself. He found me, I said. Say hello to Ingrid. He turned his laptop in my direction. She's coming down to visit this weekend. The girl lived in Tucson and came down almost every weekend. Alvaro always treated it like it was a rare occasion. I waved at the 13-year-old girl on the screen, careful not to slow my stride. She was decked out in a homemade Doozer Girl t-shirt and had some sort of snake draped around her neck. Half of its body was woven through her thick brown hair and around one of her arms of her glasses. Part of me wanted to shriek in terror, not because of the snake, but because of the shirt. Doozers, the rabid fan of Dewey's show Gone Herpin, often feel a need to share with me in excruciating detail, the things they'd enjoy doing to him, always forgetting that their object of desire is my baby brother. By 90 seconds in a stroke of midnight. To bypass the therapist chair, I avoid anyone who might be a doozer. I have no social media accounts, I ignore random people on the street, and I merely skim the hundreds of letters he gets each week. If it's from a sick child, I arrange a one-on-one. -on -one. If it's a horny adult and they include a self-addressed stamped envelope, they get a glossy 8 by 10 onto which I inscribe with a silver sharpie, Good Adventures, Dewey Nash. That's the catchphrase he uses to end every episode of his show. If there's no SASE, then into the trash the envelope goes. Is Dewey with you? Did he get my letter? At 13, she kind of fell into the adult category, and I couldn't remember if she'd included an SASE. Besides, the girl had had about a dozen autograph photos already. He had to... Nothing came to mind, so I finished with, I really need to... 
and I was through to the kitchen. As the two-way door swung shut, I could hear her last words chase after me. Tell him my new email is ingridthesnakecharmer at gmail.com. Good adventures! Yeah, right. Like I'd ever give my brother a teenage girl's email address. I waved a hand at the night cook, Garrick. Nothing for now. As the door to the service elevator slid shut, I watched one of his fingers disappear up a nostril. Okay, nothing later, either. On the third floor, I took a left and went down two spots to my office. Chances were pretty good that I had a hoodie thrown over the back of my chair for shivering emergencies, which happened in the desert more often than you'd think. I had enough time to grab it and run over to the 27th Street Clinic for some quick am-I-gonna-die-from-exposure-to-all-that-blood testing and then get back to the sheriff's station before Mom noticed that I was gone. I was counting on her being preoccupied with Dewey and Warren for a while, considering that her boyfriend was holding her son as a person of interest in a possible murder case. I probably had a lot of time to kill. I turned my key in the lock and stepped inside and gagged. The air was stale, and the place smelled like a locker room, thanks to me leaving the air conditioner off. I flipped on a light. Or maybe my office smelled that way because someone really messy was living in it. Clothes spilled out of the gym bag by the door and a layer of red dirt led across the parquet floor to the little sitting area. My glass coffee table had been moved against the wall and the futon was open and covered in a tangled mix of blankets and sheets. More remnants of dirty shoes led into the half bath on my left where takeout bags overwhelmed the tiny trash can. Back at my desk, a pair of jeans was slung over the armrest of my high-backed chair, and above that, a long-sleeved green gingham and a t-shirt featuring the stacked silhouette of a curvy woman were tacked to my bulletin board. I touched one of the gingham sleeves, and it had that stiff air-dry feel to it. Laundry? Okay, this is weird. I stood in the middle of the room, not sure what to do. Whoever was squatting wasn't around at the moment. Was it safe to be here? Would they be back? And how did they get in my office in the first place? I went back to the door and checked the lock. It hadn't been jimmied, so how did they get in? Only a few people had keys. Me, Dewey, Mom, Morgan. I had a vague recollection of Dewey telling me that he was giving a key to Morgan so he could do something or other. From the looks of things, it had been to move in. I went to my desk. A wrinkled map of the United States was spread out over the top. Someone had made illegible notes all over it in handwriting that looked pretty similar to the scrawl on Morgan's Christmas cards. If he'd really been here, I needed to call Warren. I found the phone underneath. As I lifted the receiver, I leaned against my chair and casually ran a thumb over the jeans. They felt clean. And soft. Really soft. And they weren't neon orange. I dropped the receiver back in the cradle and held them up against my hips. They were long, but if I cuffed them, I set them back down. No. Morgan was slim, but he was a good three inches taller than me, and he was a guy. There was no way they'd fit. Besides, Warren would be pissed if he knew I'd messed with what he'd probably consider another crime scene.
I dropped the jeans and snatched up the telephone receiver and then set it back down. Still, when had he been here? I went to the trash and took a look at the bag on top. A takeout receipt stapled to the side was dated almost a week ago. The blood in Morgan's house was maybe a day old. Chances were good that Morgan camping out in my office had nothing to do with whatever happened at his house. I didn't really believe that, but at this point I didn't care. I ran my thumb down the jeans again. They were really soft. After a quick stop at the ATM and a few pokes, prods, and promises to return to the 27th Street Clinic for follow-ups, I was back at the sheriff's station standing before Myra's reception desk. Mom was nowhere in sight. I wasn't sure what to do next. Warren hadn't been specific beyond get Mom, meet him at the station. I sighed and jammed my hands into the jean pockets. They went in well past my wrists. Hey. How come women's jeans don't have pockets like these? I rocked back on my heels and hiked the waist up a bit. Even without a belt, they fit better than I would have liked anyone to know. I'd thrown the long-sleeved gingham on over the t-shirt and buttoned up till most of the curvy silhouette was covered. Last thing I needed from Mom was a lecture about my appearance. I'd certainly skirted by earlier. While I waited for Myra to notice me, I glanced around. The compact squad room behind her, usually manned by a couple of deputies, was empty, and the place was deathly quiet except for the sound of Myra's fingernails tapping away on her computer keyboard. I sighed again. I needed a distraction soon, or I was going to start thinking about things I didn't want to think about. Did anybody bring some suitcases back from Morgan's place? I have no idea, she said without looking up. I don't log evidence. Because everything I own is in my suitcase, and Dewey had it at Morgan's. I couldn't wear Morgan's jeans forever. He'd want them back at some point. Assuming he was still in one piece. All that blood. Blast. I felt lightheaded and grabbed the edge of the counter. You all right? Myra was watching me with an alarmed look on her face. Uh, yeah. Don't think about the blood. The chief's not back yet. Your mom's in his office, she grinned at me. You want to go back and wait with her? Oh, she knew me so well. I jerked a thumb at the empty room behind her. Where's everybody else? It's Metal Fest this weekend. Ah, that explained the empty streets and leather girl's attire. You need something to do? Myra extended a hand. A sticky note dangled from her index finger. I tilted my head to read it. Cactus Rose, Room 11, Snake. The Cactus Rose Motel was out on Old State Highway 93, about 20 miles outside of town. It had been popular back in the days when families took road trips. Today, it was more conducive to those who enjoyed their afternoon quickies in a spot off the beaten path. I needed a distraction, but creepy crawlies didn't count. No thanks. Snakes are Dewey's thing. Myra leaned back in her seat and raised her eyebrows. At least they were when he wasn't a person of interest. Well, who'd you call before we moved back, I asked. Morgan. Hmm. I guess she'd been briefed about what was going on. She waved a hand around the room. 
At the moment, I've got no one else, and the lady on the phone was pretty insistent I send someone right away. Blast. What about HAH? I asked. The Herpetology Association of Horseshoe Bend really wasn't an association. It was more like a dozen reptile geeks that cruised the back roads on weekends looking for snakes. Myra shook her head. Chief would kill me if I called them in an official capacity. He probably would. Warren and his deputies consider HAH a menace. They drive slow, stop on a dime, and abruptly leap out of the cars to huddle around what often turns out to be a stick in the middle of the road. You hang out with them, though, right? she asked. Well, Dewey and Morgan did. I tagged along once when we were in high school. After what felt like the hundredth brake slam of the night, I'd puked all over three of the HAH members and was disinvited to all future outings for the rest of my natural life. The guy who'd ended up with most of the chunkiest stuff in his lap had been very specific. I considered the yellow sticky note on the end of Myra's finger and sighed. Even if I wanted to ask HAH for help, I probably wasn't going to be able to get a hold of any of them. Chances were really good that they were out cruising Whiplash Ridge. Phone service on the ridge was non-existent. And even if by some miracle I was able to reach them, sooner or later they were going to ask about Dewey. Or Morgan. Morgan. Fine. I snatched the note off her finger. And after a lifetime of watching Dewey rescue snakes from silly people, as he liked to put it, I was pretty sure I could handle a solo run. And I did need the distraction. They speak English? Since a third of Horseshoe Bend's population had been in the area since the territory had belonged to Mexico, it was always a toss-up. She sounded adequately proficient. Perfect, since my grasp of Spanish wasn't. Let him know I'm on my way. Myra rocked back in her chair and raised her eyebrows at me. Good adventures! I growled at her and then headed back across Rouse Boulevard as the crappy little Honda pulled up outside Milsey's front door. The driver, a scruffy-looking guy with wild hair and a crazy beard, waved like he knew me. The last thing I needed was some offbeat acquaintance asking about Dewey. Before the guy could get out of his car, I dove into the dark, creepy street entrance to the third floor and locked the door behind me. In case he decided to hang around, I'd sneak out through the alley and take the long way back to my car. Upstairs, just inside my office door, I grabbed an orange bucket, knowing that Dewey kept it filled with everything I'd need. From the back of the closet, I dug out a pair of snake tongs that I'd ordered for him for our birthday. I had no idea what was waiting for me at the motel, and the triple-coated rubber top jaw made them ideal for handling combative species. And <laughs> Dewey said I never listened to him. Okay, let me know what you think. Go ahead and leave a comment if you are on the podcast. Just go to the show notes and click on the first link. I think it's the first link in the comments, but you'll see it. It says comment here. If you don't comment there, I will not see it because the podcast is on all sorts of sites. And uh, if you comment on wherever your um, your uh, uh, app is, I may not see it. So follow the link. If you are on YouTube, you know what to do. And I'll find those. It's really easy. Uh, subscribe. Thank you. 
Uh, if you're on YouTube, click that little bell, I guess. It tells you when there's new episodes up. And if you are on the podcast, if you can click on those little stars, give us some star love, that would be greatly appreciated. And I think that's pretty much it for now. And I am going to get back to writing so I can finish How to Square Your Grouper. And maybe I'll do something better with my hair next time. I got to cut. You can see I've gotten a neck finally. Uh, it's just been so damn hot here in, uh, where am I? Florida. <laughs> Wherever the hell I am. It's been so hot. I cut my hair and so it's all kind of wild. Uh, yeah, my husband said, oh my God. He saw me in a store and shouted from across the store, who stole all your hair? I said, oh, is it, is it that short? Well, oh well. Anyway, so um, I'm going to go write and I will see you later. Go read a good book. <laughs>